I shared in the earlier service, and I know that we enjoy the orchestra tremendously and how grateful we are for that music program in our public schools. James Perry spent a lot of his career, and we see the fruits of it up here for many, many, many years. So we are grateful for their being here and helping us in both of these services. Our text today is in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. You will see it on your screen, and those of you who pick up a bulletin when you come in, uh, you know, you will see the outline in there. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. And I tell you, I'm always, I always enjoy your comments, uh, no matter how off base they are. Okay, you know. But I love it when you, with this, you know, you get the outline and you see the whole outline. And, and you know, we're all time conscious. As you can see, I, I am very time conscious. I would never quench the Holy Spirit, but, uh, you know, the Lord, you know, is very aware and, and would not just be up here and going on and on and on and on. But when people look at the outline, they'll say, oh my Lord, seven points, why did I come today? And, uh, and last week, one of the members said, you know, you spent 15 minutes on point one and there were still four to go. And they were really concerned. So uh, fear not, my brothers and sisters. Uh, and we are in good shape. And this is a message that I just thrill to bring to you and pray that you will thrill to receive it in the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news list, Luke chapter 4 and many, many, and as far as I'm concerned, all of the verses of Scripture are worthy of going back to over and over and over again. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4 is one of those that I just love, and it is Jesus' mission statement. It's His inaugural message. It follows His baptism, the temptation in the wilderness. He is back home now, and He is laying out the strategy for the next three years we believe he's about 30 years old here, and he's laying out the strategy of his ministry for the next three years. And I want to tell you, friends, it's all good news. It's all good news. Listen to the passage beginning with verse 16 in chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And, you know, I, I apologize for interrupting a couple of points here, but, uh, you know, I, I think it just helps us when we read it and hang on every word, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. The last time we'd heard from Jesus, he was 12 years old and in the temple. And now we believe it's 18 years later and people want to know where in the world was Jesus during those silent years. Well, to the best of our knowledge, he was right there in Nazareth with his family, waiting for the signal from his father in heaven to launch the ministry, possibly... Uh, working and supporting his family. We believe that Joseph passed uh, much earlier. And it says that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. If you want to know why you should go to church, Jesus went. Is that enough? Jesus was a regular attender at the synagogue in Nazareth, and he stood up to read. He was a worship leader. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book... And let me tell you, he knew his Bible. He knew how to turn to the place where it was written, 
which is chapter 61 of Isaiah. And these are his words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? The story changes dramatically here, and we may pick up that another day. But here, we are going to focus on the good news of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, how I pray that as your word has already spoken to us, that now we'll speak even clearer and that we will receive your word and be drawn to you and some for the first time ever as a profession of faith. I pray for the anointing of the Spirit. As Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And I pray for that anointing of the Spirit that as in that day, every eye, every ear is focused on the Word. Forgive us of our sins in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, if you were here, I preached a message entitled, How to Stand Against Evil. And it was a spiritual warfare challenge and strategy of how we, as the people of God, are to respond to the things that are going on. And I restrict it to our nation. I don't have a full grasp of the whole world scene, but I think I do. But I think I'm also correct uh, to those, as I preached last Sunday, who are perceptive and are aware and are keeping up with decisions that are being made and things that are happening and the direction that our nation is going in. And I shared how that we as the people of God are to respond to this, and I, it was in that spiritual way. We must respond in a way of truth and righteousness and prayer because as the apostle says in Ephesians 6, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Yes, it is manifested in flesh and blood, but it is an evil power above this realm that is at work. And friend, there is a higher power above this realm. Amen. And we tap into that. And I purposely did not mention issues and current events and things like that. I wanted us to grasp the spiritual challenge. Well, when I got home and was eating lunch, and I always go over to Trinity Broadcasting Network to see who's preaching and uh, to see if I could steal something from them, you know, uh, that I might could use later or to borrow. I tell people the first thing they teach you in seminary is how to borrow from other preachers. And uh, we've done that. I love it in the old days when, you know, we didn't have all the computers and all the wonderful graphics and everything, and, and you had to take clip art to something and run it on a mimeograph machine and throw ink all over the wall and stuff like that, you know. Well, any time a bulletin would cross my desk that had a nice piece of clip art in it, I clipped it, and we used it. And the next week, I'd get other bulletins, and that clip art would be in it. 
Well, let me tell you, when I flipped over to TBN last week, Alan Jackson was preaching. I don't know a whole lot about him, but I have Googled him through the years. I like to be careful who I'm listening to. And he's pastor of the World Outreach Church, uh, an independent ministry that he started in Murfreesboro there in Tennessee. And he was preaching along the same lines that I was preaching last Sunday. And I love what he said at the end of it. He said, I have started a good news list. And he said, every time I am made aware that God is at work in the public square, meaning in Congress, in leadership, in our nation, in business, however you want to describe it, when I note that God is at work in the public square, I make a note of it. And that's his good news list. Well, I want to tell you my prayer, and this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we will embrace it, and apply this to our lives, then we will be more aware that, friend, God's at work in America. God is at work, and I'm telling you, America is beginning to wake up to the woke culture. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to track that. And at some point, possibly Wednesday night or sometime, I will share the things that I see, and I pray that you will see. But this is a good news list. This is Jesus' good news list. And we go right through it. The first two points are kind of introductory to the rest of it. And that is, number one, the good news is from God. Verse 18, the opening says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now they knew what that meant. See now, because later, they're not aware of Jesus as he is about to begin speaking. They're aware of him, of being there all his life. They're aware of his family connections. That's why they begin to ask, you know, isn't this the guy that he's been here all this time? And wow, listen to the way he's talking. Well, they well understand the words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because all of the prophets that they revered, the Spirit of the Lord was upon those prophets. And so when Jesus stands and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, that gets their attention. Jesus today, who is a regular here and who reads regularly here, now is telling us that he has a special word from God. Amen. I think about when I was growing up and I'm a product of my culture. And that is, I inherited this from my ancestors. And that is, the most exciting part of the day was when the mail came. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And especially when I'd be up at Granny's and some of those 14 children still hanging around. And I have 65 first cousins, can you believe it? And when they'd hear that mail truck coming around that rocky Wolf Creek Road, they would holler, the mail's here, and go run into the mailbox just to see if there was anything there for them. And I'll tell you, if there was, I'll tell you how it started. We are all doing well, hope you are too. That's the way we started the letters back then. And it was an exciting time. What I want to tell you today, today, most of our communication comes through computers, and some of you are set so that there might be a little ding or something that says, you got mail. Well, I want to tell you, friend, we got mail, and it is from God under his anointing, and it is good news. And as that 
powerful musical of years ago, friend, it is written in red in the blood of Jesus Christ. We've got good news. We have good news and it is from God. And secondly, it is for those, it is to those who could use some good news. You know, we get into trials and troubles in life. Then every once in a while, a ray of light and a ray of hope breaks through. And we will say, whew, boy, I sure could use some good news. Well, I want to tell you, that group in the synagogue that day, they were desperate for good news. They were desperate desperate for good news and when Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor now this passage works on two levels it can work on the physical and economic level it can work on the spiritual level but the primary intent of it is the primary intent of Jesus's ministry and that is a spiritual ministry he had a heart for the poor he had a heart for those in poverty. He had a heart for those in economic distress. But he came into the world with a heart for those whose spirits were in poverty and crying out for a relationship with God. That's what he said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize their poverty. Those who are poor and desperate for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit for what theirs is the kingdom of God. The cry of the hearts of that day was the kingdom of God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth. Your will to be done as it is in heaven. Ever since Isaiah, they were looking so hard. Isaiah is the one with the clearest messianic prophecies of the coming of the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, man, they have perked up. And they are thinking, that which we have hoped for for 800 years, is it dawning here? Is it dawning? And so, the good news, keep a list, it's from God. And it is for those who in our lives could use some good news, realize our need for God, and are reaching out. To him. Now here's the good news. You could call it point number one. Jesus is telling them that your sins can be forgiven and your broken heart healed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I'm here from God the Father to preach the gospel to the poor. Those of you who seek him, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. In the Lucan gospel, liberty to the, to the captives is synonymous with forgiveness of sins. And oh, I'm telling you, this was one of, the, one of the reasons and the ways that the Pharisees hoped to nail Jesus to the cross was because they later would say, who has given you the authority to forgive sins? And they're sitting there and you know they're wide-eyed. It says they were. And Jesus is telling them, I have been sent here to let you know that your sins can be forgiven and that broken heart, which is a broken heartedness over our sins, that it can be forgiven and your broken heart can be healed. Go back sometime and review Psalm 51. I was going to read passages of it today, but I simply summarize it. This is King David's cry. 
to God after the prophet Nathan has made him aware. Everybody knows what you've done. And God knows what you've done. And David is brokenhearted. Lovely couple there in Blackshear for many, many years. Dr. and Mrs. Spence Talley, longtime dear veterinarian there. And she worked in public service so long. They're with the Lord now. And Spence, his wife would say, Now, Spence, what's your favorite character in the Bible? And he'd say, David. And she'd say, Why? She said, Because he was so bad. And Spence would say, He's my favorite character because he always came back. He always came back. And oh, in Psalm 51, the first section, King David is crying out for mercy. And then King David is being honest and truthful with his sinfulness. And then King David is crying out to God, purge me with hyssop, cleanse me, make me as white as snow, wash my sins away. King David said, I am hurting so bad, I feel like every bone in my body is broke. Heal me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and I will teach sinners, I will teach them out of the experiences of my life. And King David closes by saying, God does not require sacrifices like was common in that day, but a contrite spirit and a broken heart. God forgave David and God healed his broken heart. Corey Ten Boom, so well known for the hiding place I say this all the time. Sometimes we need to revisit Corey Ten Boom. The younger people probably are not even aware of who Corey Ten Boom is. She was interred in a Nazi concentration camp, Ravensbrück, during World War II. She and her family were not Jews, but they were rescuing Jews. She lost her sister Betsy. She lost her brother. She lost her papa in those camps. She survived it. And out of that experience, she wrote several books, The Hiding Place, one of Billy Graham's movies, In My Father's House, and tramped for the Lord all her life into the late 90s. She circled this globe telling people about Jesus Christ and His love and His forgiveness. And she tells this story of a little girl that accidentally broke a treasured dish of the family. It was an heirloom. The little girl knew how important it was, and she was devastated crying and her mother a very sensitive loving mother did not berate her said honey that's okay that's okay let me help you clean it up follow every word here let me help you clean it up God wants to help some of us clean up some stuff let me help you clean it up and we'll throw it in the trash God wants us some of us to throw some stuff in the trash can I get an amen amen clean it up and throw it in the trash and so they did. And a little while later, the little girl came back and she took some of it out of the trash and took it to her mother and began crying again. And her mother said, silly girl, put that back in the trash. I have forgiven you. And Corey Ten Boom says that the good news here that our sins can be forgiven in our heart, our broken heart healed, that we say to God, one time, I'm sorry. And for the rest of our life, thank you. Thank you. That's the good news. That's the good news. Every time I pray, maybe not absolutely every time, but I guarantee you when I start out the morning and I end the night, 
I always say to God, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And then I pray, keep me from sin. Keep me from sin. That's the good news. That's the good news list. The next thing on your good news list is that you can live with a new set of eyes. A new set of eyes. Continuing in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. We know that He restored sight to the physically blind, but Jesus came to open our spiritual eyes to the things of God. I tell briefly, my youngest daughter, Sarah, has the most enchanting, nearly crystal blue eyes that people have commented on all the time. And, you know, we say things, but people would look at her and say, are those your eyes? You, you need to know Sarah. I want you all to know my, my girls. I want you to know all my boys. That's a heartache to me. Sarah's a lot like her mother, free spirit. Sarah will look at you and say, no, I borrowed them today. <laughs> Would you like to borrow them tomorrow? <laughs> the point is, Jesus knows we need a new set of eyes, friends. All we can see is bad stuff. There's good stuff. All we can see is the evil that's going on in the world. And I'm telling you, God is at work in the public square. He is still on the throne and he will reign forever and ever. And Ralph Sockman, a very gifted communicator of the gospel, reminds us that we have three sets of eyes. They are the eyes by which we maneuver around. They are the eyes of the mind by which we understand and grasp knowledge, which is why in cartoons, when somebody finally gets it, there's a light bulb over their head. I get it. But there's the eyes of the heart. And this is where we see the things of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha is the prophet. He carries the mantle of Elijah. And he is at Dothan with his servant. That's a small area there. The king of Syria is beside himself because every time he starts to attack Israel, the army of Israel is waiting for him. And he thinks that he's got a traitor in his midst. And finally somebody says, no, you don't have a traitor in the midst, O king. Elisha the prophet knows every move you're making. And so the king says, well, we're going to track him down and we're going to take care of this. They track him down to Dothan. They surround him that morning. The servant gets a wash pan, goes out to get some water. For the morning he sees the Syrian army and he panics and runs into Elisha and says, what are we going to do? And you know the story. Elisha says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And God opens the spiritual eyes of the servant and he looks and in the hills behind the Syrian army is the army of God, all aflame and ready to do battle. And guess how God did battle? Struck the Syrian army blind. He opened the eyes of the servant and he struck the Syrian army blind. Oh, we need our eyes open. John Killinger, 
in his youth and his passion for God said that every bush was a burning bush. He could see God in every bush and every brook was a jabot where Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He could see it there. Brand new book in my library by Tim Muehlhoff entitled Eyes to See. And he challenges us to see the common grace of God at work all around us in ways that we don't even give him credit for. And I pray that God will open our eyes because I'm going to tell you, God's at work in the public square. God's at work. And when you watch the news, you start jotting down or commit to memory every sign of hope because God is at work. And I'm telling you, the ripples are out there. America is fed up with this mess. America is fed up. And I'm telling you, this is the year of change. This is the year. And we need, that good news is, God can help us see with a different set of eyes. And we can see Him at work in our life and in work in the world around us, and at work in our church. That's the good news. Oh my goodness, the news just gets better. The next one is, the good news is that you don't have to make the same mistakes over and over again. Isn't that awesome? This is what Jesus means when he says, and I won't read the whole passage again, the closing phrase of verse 18, after in recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, those who are oppressed. Earlier when it says to proclaim liberty to the captives, yes, this is forgiveness of sins. And when it then says heal the brokenhearted, that is to restore us from our sins. And now to set at liberty those who are oppressed is to set us free from the power of Satan. God forgives, God heals, and God sets free. The verse this morning, and I'm always looking, I'm as bad as John Killinger, every bush is a burning bush. But the verse this morning in the open windows is out of Acts chapter 10, where the apostle Peter has been called, has been called to the home of Cornelius, a Gentile in Caesarea, because he wants to know more about Jesus. And so, but Peter goes there, and here's the summary of what Peter told him in chapter 10 of Acts, verse 38. This was the verse this morning. And it says that Peter began to share, and he went through the baptism which John preached. And then he says, and how God anointed, anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and with power, power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God is not only Savior, Healer, He is Deliverer. And we don't have to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Been a long time ago, a lady was sharing with me her heart. She was brokenhearted for the sins of her adult son. He'd been reared in the faith, but he'd gotten off track. 
He'd gotten off the path and she just could not seem to communicate to him to have him to come back to the faith that she knew was in his heart. And I'll always remember her desperate cry. She said, he's my flesh and blood and I love him. She said, but you know, anybody, anybody can fall in a ditch. All right, remember that. Any of us in the path of life, we can fall in a ditch. And then she said, but you know, you don't have to lay there and waller in it. Amen. We all can fall. We all can fail. We are none perfect. But I'm telling you, Jesus holds down a hand and says, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. Come with me. Thank God the good news is, the good news is, is that we don't have to make the same mistakes over and over and over again and we come to the closing here. The good news is that God is not mad at you. He is not mad at you. Verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord Many translations say to proclaim God's favor. We believe it is a jubilee year in which Israel believed that God restored everything to its proper place. And when they heard that, remember, remember the setting, remember the context, remember the culture. They are laboring under Judaism and legalism. They are laboring under a works religion. They are trying under their own power to be righteous and it's not working. It's not working. And Jesus saw them and they were like sheep without a shepherd and he saw them that they were weary and heavy laden and come unto me and take my yoke upon you for my, my burden is easy, my load is light and I'll give you rest. And their whole problem was, and you know, think about this, this really struck my heart. With legalism and works religion and trying to be perfect, they were trying to make God happy. None of us good enough to make him happy, let me tell you. I'm not saying he's mad or whatever. But it's his goodness and not our goodness by which we're saved. And here's something that we don't remember. God wants to make us happy. Amen? Amen? He wants to give us an abundant life. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us peace. I'm a perfectionist. I don't know if you've noticed that. I'm a perfectionist. I mean, just look at me. Oh, excuse me, crooked. But the trouble with being a perfectionist, and I am true, firstborn, frustrated perfectionist, it's never good enough for me. You mix perfection with religion and that is miserable. Because you'll always wonder, am I saved, am I not saved? Am I going to heaven, am I not going to heaven? And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I've got a gift for you. I've got a gift for you. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus is saying, will you just take it? Will you just take it? So this is a list of good news. And then in verse 21, very pivotal verse. 
And Jesus looks at them and says, now this is just over the top. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he is saying to them out of Isaiah 61, messianic prophecies, looking forward to the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying to them in Nazareth, in his home synagogue, folks, it's happening here right now. And today is the day of salvation. And Jesus is saying to us, the good news is, you can be saved today. You can be healed today. You can see with new eyes today. You can see. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Today is the day. And so we sing a hymn of invitation. Will you come to Jesus?